Hello, everyone. Welcome back again to another episode of Josiah's Voice, the podcast. I hope everyone's doing okay as you sit down to listen to my friends and I today talk about books. That's right. Um, A bunch of bookworms and I got together uh, and I, uh, well, virtually, we're still social distancing at at this time, but I invited some friends to come on and share their love of books, specifically one book that they wish they could revisit again with fresh eyes, you know, the the type of book that if they heard I or someone else was reading it for the first time, they might be a little jealous or really, you know, kind of hyped up and excited, you know, wow, I remember when I read, you know, whatever book, Josiah, you're so lucky to be able to experience it fresh and new and exciting for the first time. So what I'll do is I'll play each clip of my friends recommending their book and I'll respond uh, for just a couple of minutes in between each one and I'll save the book that I would like to read for the first time with fresh eyes for the very end. And you can find each and every book that my friends and I discuss on today's episode on the blog. You can find that at josiahsvoicepodcast.wordpress.com for the full comprehensive list of all the books. I logged all of them from Goodreads, as well as the honorable mentions that uh, people talked about. So you can check that out. I've linked that in my Instagram and my Twitter. So uh, enjoy that, okay? And I'll remind you again that my uh, Instagram is josiah.docx. And my Twitter is just at Josiah D-O-C-X. From there, you can find the links in my bios to the blog and to the podcast. I can share with you just a few of my current reads. Right now, I'm deep into comic books. I'm reading the graphic novel. I'm rereading the graphic novel uh, Chew by, I believe, John Lehman and Black Panther by Tanasi Coates. And uh, if you've been following me on Instagram, you see that I'm, I've read up to book two in the Easy Rollins uh, Detective series. And I'm having a really good time with that. Easy Rollins solves crimes in uh, 50s, starting in 50s L.A. Um, and just uh, moves forward in time. There are 14 books in that series. Chew is about how the FDA became the most powerful crime-fighting force in the world in the wake of a pandemic and chicken is outlawed and a psychic uh, police officer um, begins to unravel a mystery uh, or the mystery of the pandemic uh, using his powers. uh, Anything he bites and eats, he learns the history of it. And that that book is hilarious. The art is hilarious. The dialogue is hilarious. It's very self-assured comic book it it knows what it's doing and i just love the confidence and the hilarity of it and tanasi coates's black panther is uh it's amazing it's about more than just king t'challa it's also about wakanda and the kingdom being simultaneously ripped apart and sewn back together in the wake of battles with thanos and namor the submariner so that's what i'm reading right now But uh, I want to thank everybody who uh, jumped on this to uh, talk about books with me and essentially to recommend, you know, if you haven't read any of the books that everyone's going to list off, you know, check them out because uh, everyone sounded really excited about these books. 
And I wanted this to feel like, even though we're social distancing, I wanted it to feel like you're hanging out with someone and they're just gushing and hyping up this thing that you've just got to got to check out. So I hope you guys really, really enjoy this. I really enjoyed hearing what everyone had to share. Uh, I think my uh, to be read pile on Goodreads has gotten just a little bit longer, a little bit more lengthy. Um, but hey, here in quarantine, we have all the time in the world to to be reading. So uh, maybe you guys can check these out while you're uh, social distancing. So without further ado, let's get into it. Let's see what the first book is. Hello everyone, my name is Bruna, I'm from Brazil, uh, and Josiah asked me to share one book that I wish I could reread for the first time again, and mine would be uh, not only one book, but a series of books, a very long series, called uh, A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemonade Snicket. Uh, some of you might be uh, aware of this series. Had already read that. Uh, it's a series that tells the story of uh, the Baudelaire siblings uh, running away from a villain, uh, uh, their uncle, and it's every book they uh, enter a new adventure, uh, full of uh, full of action, mystery and amazing and unbelievable things that the Baudelaire siblings do to overcome uh, overcome the all the conflicts and bad things that the Count de Laf, uh, their uncle, throws at them. Uh, so this book really made a mark uh, in my younger self. I read it when I was I don't know, uh, the first book I read it when I was around 11 and it touched me so much in the heart because they were uh, young characters overcoming such big uh, problems in their lives by themselves and they had this lovely relationship as uh, siblings where they help each other and they end up coming up with amazing and imaginative uh, solutions for their problems and also uh, it's always set in a, in a, in a place uh, full of wonder and whimsical uh, characters so I really wish I could read it again uh, and being in touch with that world uh, for the first time because it's a very, very entertaining and delightful reading with a lot of, uh, lot of messages of love and being resilient as kids, even for adults. And also it's fun because the narrator uh, the, t the storyteller is uh, absolutely uh, that it's supposed to be Lemonade Snicket, a pseudonym. Uh, it's absolutely fun, and he tries to tell the truth about 
world and living outside in a funny way for children. So yeah, I guess that's the series I wish I could read again and I feel a little bit envy when people tell me they're reading a series of unfortunate events for the first time. Thank you very much, Bruna, for sharing with us about a series of unfortunate events. She started a uh, virtual writing retreat via Instagram called The Pondering Writing Retreat, which has been uh, a lot of fun to do in the past to just bring uh, authors together online as we all uh, forge ahead to write our novels. I remember reading only the first four books of the series and I need to pick them up again. I think I was just really deep into school at the time. And I just, after the fourth book, I had to just, you know, keep up with studies. I, I really couldn't find time to go read them. So that's something to look forward to after Easy Rollins and everything else that I'm reading. I'll uh, make a point to pick those books back up. Um, and of course, I watched the, the movie with Jim Carrey. It was so, so funny. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, I still need to watch the show. I watched the pilot episode, and I thought it was really, really cool. Um, I think it's neat that Patrick Warburton is now doing his take on Lemony Snicket. That's really cool. I guess there are two seasons, so that's something to look forward to. Um, and, uh, yeah, I really just like how what I gathered actually from the pilot, better yet the series in general, just a little bit that I, you know, was exposed to, was how the Baudelaire kids... They really make the most of each and every situation that they're in. They're really good at making lemons out of lemonade. And it's a cool book to remind you that uh, you're not alone or that you don't have to be. Um, that your family is there for you or your friends like the fam. You know, your friends are the family that you choose. So I really like that quality uh, of the story over overall. Um, and I like how all three siblings have interesting things about them like Sunny is the baby and she nibbles on everything and the they always find that useful um Klaus is I believe the second oldest then and he's the inventor and that always goes very very well with uh Violet who every time she ties her hair up it's signaling the onset of a genius genius idea so the siblings are just always working together and that's a great feel-good message, but it's also, it's not cliche. It's it's a real thing, and uh, it's a great quality of the characters. So I can't wait to revisit this story, actually. So thank you, Bruna. This is Regan listening from Maine. The book that I wish I could reread with totally fresh eyes and no memory of what it's about is Ray Bradbury's um, Dandelion Wine, which I think is my favorite Ray Bradbury book. And it is really a story about like, okay, it's magical realism because it's about our world as we know it, but there is magic happening in it. And there are pieces that are just so beautiful. And I read it in middle school for, for a class and it was one of the only books I ever was assigned to read that I actually read and actually enjoyed because it just spoke to me in a way that a lot of the reading assignments didn't. And there were all of these strange things that were just really magical and fun, but it was also kind of easy to understand even as a kid that the book was about what it was like to experience summer as a kid 
and how adults feel looking back on that and kind of about adult mortality. And um, it was just a really beautiful book that I would love to be able to reread and experience like the way that Ray Bradbury talks about making dandelion wine to try to bottle the essence of what it's like to be young in the summer. And so it was just such a beautiful book. And then the specific reason I would love to reread it is um, there is a story in the book that is the scariest story I've ever read. Um, if you're a Ray Bradbury fan, you know that a lot of his books are made up of short stories. And this book has a story in it that is called The Whole Town is Sleeping. And I have this, I've read it so many times at this point, and I have it in like an anthology, but you can also just Google it. I checked. You can find this book, um, this story as a PDF online if you just Google The Whole Town is Sleeping, if you're interested. Um, and it's about a woman leaving the movies, and it's nighttime, and she needs to cross through a ravine to get home. And the town has been talking about how a man is strangling women and she and they call him the lonely one and she thinks that the lonely one is down on the ravine with her and it is so scary and I remember losing my tiny mind when I read it in middle school and I just wish that I could experience that pain all over again of reading something so scary. Um, so anyway, that's my book, Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury. Hey Regan. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, I've only read Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. I know, just one single book by uh, one of the greats, right? But um, I'm going to add this book, um, Dandelion Wine, for sure, because I just love the way that you describe it about just the, um, I guess, the innocence and excitement of summer. Um that's a really cool thing um, about just, I guess, just being people and about growing up in new generations. Everyone's always going to know that feeling. Um, you know, I, I remember like biking in, in the summer and I remember, you know, lightning bugs and barbecues and, and going to the pool and just that feeling of invincibility. Um, it reminds me actually of a book that actually takes place in the winter. Um, this was a book... Uh, I really loved called In the Dinosaur's Paw by Patricia Riley Giff. Um, and it was a series called, I believe, The Third Street Kids. Um, and they were mm, maybe second, third, fourth grade kids. Um, they were very thin books, like maybe less than a hundred, maybe a hundred pages or less, but they had very brief chapters. And In the Dinosaur's Paw um, was a story about Richard Beast Best, Beast is his nickname, um, and how he finds a lucky ruler and just how invincible he feels because of just how scary taking tests and things are. And um, I just remember really loving the audiobook also. The the um, narrator was amazing. And I just I remember just that feeling um, of being his age, being Richard's uh, age and just that invincibility he felt after he found the ruler and just how he was just acing just every class and then just the terror he felt when he lost it um for some reason that just came to mind I guess childlike invincibility and just that innocence and lessons learned and whatnot 
The book is called In the Dinosaur's Paw because the ruler is actually got a dinosaur photo on one side of it. Um, and then I just now read um, The Whole Town is Sleeping. I, ju I went ahead and found it and I just finished it and nope, <laughs> nope, nope, all the nope. Uh, Lavinia, Nebs, you fool. Um, no, no spoilers of, of course, um, everyone calls that woman a fool in, in the story because she's just so cavalier. The lonely one is out there and it's like, you know, it kind of reminds me of COVID right now. Like I'm not going to the movies in this pandemic and it's crazy that with the lonely man out there and maybe sneaking around in the ravine that Lavinia's like, yep, yeah, we're going to go see a movie. We're going to go see Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin can wait, Lavinia. Charlie can wait. Um, that was, that was really, uh, thrilling. And it was cool that it was, uh, the version I read was only like eight pages or so. And that just reminded me of just how exciting, um, and how fun, uh, short fiction can be. So, um, you guys, uh, I'll link that, uh, in the blog, of course. Regan, thanks so much for sharing. Hi, my name is Brittany. I am from Mississippi, a small town just west of Jackson, the state capital. And I selected the book from the American Girl series, the book that focused on the the American girl named Addie Walker. Addie Walker was a black slave and the book pretty much touches bases on how she and her mom escaped slavery, their journey through that escape. And Addie was a nine-year-old girl and on the book cover, she looks, she looks very similar to me when I was that age. Same complexion, similar facial features. And so she reminded me a lot of myself. And I think that's something that drew me more to the book. And so if I could read a book for the first time at my current age that I read in the past, it would be that Addie Walker book from the American Girl series. I was introduced to that book from my fourth grade teacher, Miss Staten. And she read a piece of the books to us every day in class and until we finished. And so I really liked that book. Uh, it taught me a lot about slavery and at that early age, you know, it's, it's so much to learn, but not everything is appropriate. And so it was appropriate. So it's a historical fiction book and it was set in 1864 to 1866. And the American Girl series, if you're not familiar with it, is actually based on the American Girl doll line, which is a toy line for for little girls and they actually still have it up and going today as well and each girl had her own story set in a certain part of history and so the doll corresponded with the character in the book and so I would like to read that book again today for the first time actually I recently finished the book stamped from the beginning which pretty much clarified everything from early history up until today about where racist ideals originated. And it focused on different important people in history, black and white, who played a pivotal role in either bringing out those racist ideals or fighting against those racist ideals. So reading Addie Walker books for the first time 
after reading Stamp from the beginning would be very complimentary. And I think as an adult and, and knowing about where these racist ideals came from, it would make reading the Addie Walker books even more exciting. So yeah, I would choose the Addie Walker series as the book that I would want to read for the first time again today. Thank you. Thanks, Brittany. Yeah, that series sounds really familiar. And yeah, I guess it would be, if if not for the books, then maybe it is because of the, the dolls. Uh, I think that's actually a really cool idea of um, having not only just a backstory for, you know, your toys, but um, having whole books. I mean, I, uh, I get, these aren't picture books. It sounds like they're, you know, maybe novellas or, or you know, short novels. Um, I think that's actually really cool to be able to go buy a doll like that. Um, and, and, you know, doll girls from all over, I, I assume I have to Google, do, do some research on like the line in the book series, but I think that's really, really neat. Um, it actually randomly reminds me of, uh, Lewis Howard Latimer, who was on Edison's, I, f I forgot what he called them, but it was his team, his, his pioneers, I guess, um, his, his inventing pioneers. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, I did a project on Lewis Howard Latimer. I believe he was the only black person on, on the team. And I remember as a kid, um, when I got glasses, I thought I looked a lot like Lewis Howard Latimer. So that's kind of cool. Um, how you were, you know, you were like, oh, I look just like Addie Walker, you know, I just, I just thought that was neat and just something, you know, a lot of kids, uh, especially a lot of black kids just love having that familiarity of someone great, you know, who looks like them and representation and whatnot. But yeah, I think that's really cool, um, a really interesting way to weave in history and to learn about different women by making toys and books about them. It kind of has this, um, I hope this doesn't sound weird, but something like a trading card aspect to it you know because it's like you you can either buy all of the dolls um which might have driven the parents crazy or you can buy all of the books which your parents might encourage uh, a little bit more but i think that's a really cool interactive way to learn about different women uh throughout history and i'm glad you had had that experience uh, in the fourth grade so thanks for sharing that with us Hello everyone, this is Jared Johnson talking about Game of Thrones, the entire series, which is the Song of Fire and Ice. I think it would be an, an amazing thing to sit back and read that book um, without having the TV show and all the drama and all of the uh, information that's been put out um, in the past few years based on HBO's series and um, people talking about the different books and where the book differs from the series itself. Um, I remember reading the book back in, um, you know, the, uh, about six or seven years, um, prior to the show, telling my wife she should read the book. It was one of her first, uh, fantasy books that she read. Um, and then she basically just gobbled up all, all the remaining books after she read the first one. I think that it's important for fantasy consumers um, to have a series like this that treats, um, you know, fantasy in a real world, um, you know, that of murder and mayhem. And um, it was sort of a, a, an eye opener to go from a high fantasy type realm where that pretty much dominated everything where there's a hero who wore a, 
you know, a white set of armor on a white horse with a white sword and all the demons and bad people were just always failing against them, right? Um, and, you know, they never did anything wrong. There was never anything complicated with them. If there was, it was very minor and mostly pandering to the audience that was reading it as sort of a nerd archetype, a weakling that becomes a strong person or a, a person without any power in the world becoming very powerful. And, and you know, it was never complicated. It was never, you knew the guy was or girl was going to win. Um, they, there was a happy ending kind of promised. Um, and so now that we have Game of Thrones, it's thrown that archetype sort of out the window, um, changed the world of fantasy. And now we have a lot more um, realistic fantasy coming out and science fiction coming out that has, you know, main characters dying with, um, you know, social, um, you know, social issues being brought up in, in the works themselves and which is fine. It's all good, but it would be really nice to go back and just read that one more time and, and just, just to get the sense of, oh my gosh, this is crazy. What's going to happen next? Sort of like deep breath. Um, instead of now, I think it's more of, um, when you pick up a dark fantasy book or a book that's kind of not in that normal realm of high fantasy, you're kind of watching the authors trying to outdo each other a little bit and try to get more dark or more realistic, kill off more main characters or, um, you know, have some more um, morals and things broken in, in the in the thing, but still, you know, the anti-hero kind of process. So I think it's just one of those things that would be fun to go back and be shocked again by something that's not um, not the Lord of the Rings, um, which is a great book in itself, but also fits more into that high fantasy realm. All right, thanks. Hey, Jared. Yeah, man. Um, thanks for sending that. I think I totally get uh, what, you, what you're saying. Um, it, it sounds like you're talking about like, it, it's kind of like underground rap or underground music or underground art. And it's like, I like this, you know, gray characters. No one knows good from evil, political intrigue. Nothing's black and white before it was cool. You know, like you, you liked it, you know, back when it was like the only one of its kind, I, I guess, before, before it caught on. And like you mentioned, like holding your, like, I guess you, you enjoyed that sense of like when it was new, this new type of storytelling or this fresh sense of storytelling in high fantasy, it uh, created a sense of suspense and you were on the edge of your seat and you were holding your breath. And, and like now you see that everywhere, like after Game of Thrones ended on TV, you know, everyone's like, is Westworld the new Game of Thrones? Is is Cursed or The Witcher the new Game of Thrones or or whatever? Um, and, and it kind of reminds me of like, you know, when Harry Potter came out or when The Dark Knight came out. Like, I remember being in Target as a kid and the Harry Potter movies were at a fever pitch. And it just seemed like every magical Academy type of book was was coming out at, at that time. I didn't read all of them or I actually might not have really read any of them, but I just, I do remember that sense of like, Oh, there's magical this everywhere, you know? And it's just like some of these books were good. Probably some of them not so good. Um, or like when the dark Knight came out, you know, um, my good friend of mine was like, you know, I think Christopher Nolan's 
both the best and worst thing that happened to um, superhero movies. Um, it's not Nolan's fault. He just made his own movie. But Hollywood was like, yes, dark, gritty. Who knew that's what superhero movies could be? You know what I'm saying? Or or the MCU. It's I know I'm mentioning all of these movies, uh, not other books. But it's just, um, I, I get what you're saying. It, it's, you know, I was saying with the MCU, it's like now everyone sees a certain kind of humor and it's like oh that's that's iron man humor or that's that's guardians of the galaxy humor or something like that and it's really cool that game of thrones has had such an impact on the literary and cinematic world as far as how you can tell stories about good versus evil um that followed in the footsteps or borrowed from things like the Lord of the Rings or whatever. But it's really cool now that it's left this impact. And some there is something about living in that bubble of when the first thing was the first thing and quote-unquote pioneered a certain style. And I totally get what you're saying, man. And thanks thanks so much for sharing that. I think it's going to give us all a lot to, uh, to think about and uh, the things that we liked um, before they were cool and before the fire you know, caught on. So thanks again, man. So I would say the first book that I would want to, you know, reread as if it was the first time would be This Savage Song by um, Victoria Schwab or V.E. Schwab. Um, I first heard about this book um, around the time um, where her name just kind of started, you know, popping up everywhere a Gathering of Shadows was one of the books um, that kind of like propelled her, um, I guess, to this, you know, where she's at right now as a writer, a little bit more, you know, n- not unknown. Um, but this one is a part of a duology. And I completely, like, I, I remember, I think I've listened to the audiobook or read the first book. I can't remember how. Um, I consumed this title that she um, has here, but um, this story really talks about the monsters that recreate the monsters that, you know, that are in us and the things that we try to hide, that kind of thing. I, I really enjoyed the way that this was told. Um, there's two characters, Kate Harker and Kate Harker and August Flynn one of them she's uh Kate she's trying to be you know ruthless like her father um and her father lets monsters roam free and he has humans to pay for his protection and the other side we have August who is one of those said monsters um who wants to be as good as you know his father um but this is one of the books that I really wanted to reread again as if it was the first time. I'm definitely going to reread it again in the future um, just because I think it kind of talks about our world in a different way. And, you know, it brings about, you know, if monsters were real and, you know, in this world, how they're created is, you know, there's like a mass shooting, mass suicide, bombing, that kind of thing. Um that like that you know event that happened creates this one single monster that's humanoid um and 
they there's other monsters in here as well that are humanoid that you that you meet and add to the story but i think that they all kind of strive for something different and they all try to remain in their human form because you know if they're they don't then something bad happens and i just i really enjoyed reading this um I guess I can read a little bit from the uh, Goodreads page here about it. Kate Harker and August Flynn are the heirs in a, to a divided city. A city where the violence has begun to breed actual monsters. All Kate wants to do is be as ruthless as her father, who lets monsters roam free and makes humans pay for his protection. All August wants to do is to be human, a good hearted, as good-hearted as his own father. To play a bigger role in protecting the innocent, but he's one of the monsters. One who can steal a soul with a strain, with a simple strain of music. When the chance arises to keep an eye on Kate, who's just been kicked out of her sixth boarding school and returned home, August jumps at it. But Kate discovers August's secret, and after after a failed assassination attempt, the pair must flee for their lives. So yeah, that was it. I really enjoyed it. Five out of five stars. Hey, Alyssa. Cool. Five out of five stars. That's a big deal. Um, I really like Victoria Schwab or V.E. Schwab as she sometimes goes by, I guess, for her more adult books. Um, I really love her villain series. That's a duology right now. Her take on superheroes, supervillains, and... Um, superpower origin stories really cool um intelligent really cool exciting book um you you guys should check that out um from your description Alyssa, it um it sounds really cool i'd heard of uh the savage song um series when i was just learning about the villains series and it sounded really interesting i think it's cool that music um plays a powerful role in it since Music is so, you know, universal. Um, and uh, with that, I get the sense of like, you know, connectivity. And I guess it speaks to the, the story sounds like it speaks to the impact that we as people have on each other, both good and bad. And Victoria Schwab is just a really interesting and unique writer um, where her, her ideas are really intricate, but really soulful at the same time. Um, I can really tell that from just, I know I've only read two of her books, but they're just, I, I, I feel like when I read this Savage song that I'll get the same quality, same soulfulness, uh, intricacy and, um, creativity from reading about, you know, how human tragedy and, um, I guess human atrocity as well can create disastrous, you know, results, um, on a, on a mythological scale. So I think that's really cool. Thank you for reminding me, Alyssa, to, uh, to look for that book. And, um, you guys should check out Alyssa on Instagram. Again, I have her linked on the blog. Um, she's also an aspiring writer and I think you guys should watch out for her. So thanks again, Alyssa. In Sex, Lies, Murder, Fame, Lolita Files delivers a sizzling satire set against the affluence and sensuality of the literary and music worlds that explores the outrageous lens to which three devout fame chasers will go to seek their fortune. 
fame is a bitch. And when boy meets bitch, nothing can keep the two of them apart. Penn Hamilton is young, brilliant, beautiful, and ready to take on the world and claim his rightful place in the midst of, a, of celebrity. As a writer, rapper, model, God. Unfortunately, the world is not quite ready for him. When Penn writes what he believes to be the great American literary blockbuster, he's rebuffed at every turn. Faced with, ridic faced with ridicule, rejection, and mounting resentment, he decides to fight back using his assets. Rockstar looks, genius IQ, and killer charm. This is one of my favorite books because it is captivating. And if it's one thing that Lolita Files knows how to do is captivate an audience within the first few pages. This isn't her first book. Her first book is Child of God and it was it had an explosive beginning also. Um in this book I really enjoyed that we got an inside look into Penn's thoughts because there were so many women who got so caught up in the fantasy that they started to neglect or overlook reality. These weren't stupid women, but the way they got played by him, it made them look like they were stupid. And so it was almost like Lolita was saying, look, you know, it was a warning sign to our readers, like look at reality and not at the fantasy. And I really like the use of fame in the title because um, she really explores a big theme in, in the book is her exploring the way people will overlook boundaries and morals for the sake of sex and life or sex and fame and money. So I would definitely recommend Lolita Files and Sex Lies Murder Fame. If you want to explore her entire library, I would I would suggest that you go to Child of God first because it's super heavy and Sex Lies Murder Fame is much lighter and um, it'll be a good relief from Child of God, which is also brilliant. Hey, Maya. Or is it Mia? A lot of these guys I'm buddies with online, and so you never have to say anyone's name. It's just it's just always being typed. So um, I hope I got that right. But um, when you describe this, it makes me think of um, like Black Swan or or Sell on the Spades or, or even Gotham City, um, maybe even Atlanta as well, in that um, it sounds like it's it's like stories where it seems like the setting slash, I guess, world slash situation feels like a character, you know, in the case of, you know, especially fame, I guess it, it almost sounds to me like, you know, sex, lies and murder are like all hanging around, you know, fame, almost like a necklace, as, as it were. And um, that's what I took away from from your description um, and from that Goodreads um, blurb. And I think that's that's really cool, um, especially to read about stories where it's contemporary, but people can make the real world, the contemporary world essentially feel fantastical on some on some level. 
Um, and that's what, you know, this book kind of, kind of sounds like. And so like, especially with the competition, especially competitive worlds, like selling the spades, who's going to be on top at their school, black swan, you know, is Natalie Portman going to be like the top ballerina, you know, Gotham city, you know, who, what criminal is going to like own Gotham and how does corruption, you know, both advance and, of course, prohibit Batman's crusade, you know, like, how can he use the culture and the situation, you know, to to fight evil? And so um, I hope that makes sense. But it just, yeah, this just sounds like a story where, yeah, the um, someone managed to make the setting and the culture and the ideas feel like a character. So thanks for sharing that with us. Hello guys, my name is Kisu and I am listening in from Perth, Australia. And honestly, when I was trying to figure out just one book to talk about today, it was like Mission Impossible. Like, oh, it was so hard to just pick one because I've read so many amazing books. But I decided to talk about The City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty. It is the first book in the David Bad trilogy. And oh my goodness, this trilogy has become like my favorite fantasy trilogy of all all time it is just incredible amazing i love it so much um so basically the story centers around a girl named nari she is a 20 year old woman con woman um living in 18th century uh french occupied cairo and she lives on the streets she has no family and basically does what she needs to do to survive and if that means stealing then she's totally okay with that um during one of her cons she accidentally summons an ancient jinn warrior who uh basically turns her life upside down and uh explains to her that she is part of this lineage of magical healers and they embark on this journey to the city of brass aka davabad where her um, ancestors used to live and you know I, the thing that i just love about this book is it's just oh it just feels so lush okay it's full of magic and political intrigue and mythical creatures and you know a little bit of romance okay there's a little bit just a little bit not a whole lot it's not central to the plot um this fighting and just it, it it was amazing um i absolutely adored the richness of the world like we start off yeah in 18th century french occupied cairo and then we move on to davabad and the descriptions are just really vivid but not overwhelmingly wordy and thick so that you have no idea what's going on um but yeah reading this book and this series made me wish i could you know like loose clues dive into the pages like i've never been more convicted about wanting to see a fictional world it just seems so lush i want to experience the hustle and bustle of the marketplaces smell all the different aromas look at all the beautiful palaces and buildings my imagination is not cutting it um i think the world building is really good but it was a little complicated at the beginning i won't lie um i think with any fantasy novel that has a really intricate magic system or lots of various people groups and histories it can be really confusing trying to keep track of all these different people and how they interact but i found that as i continued reading and becoming more familiar with all these different names it did become a lot clearer and plus there is a glossary in the back if you ever get confused um this was the first book i ever read that centers around the mythology of jinn and heavily influenced and that's like heavily influenced by middle eastern folklore so it felt really refreshing to me and it was really nice experiencing a fantasy novel um that was completely different to anything that I've ever read before. I really loved the political drama. There's a lot of scheming and a lot of tension between 
um, between the different racial and cultural groups things aren't so black and white and as a reader that was really interesting because you kind of think to yourself oh like what would I do in this situation whose side would I be on especially as you learn more about the history of the different tribes in this world um I absolutely adore the characters so it's told from two points of view um Nari and also Ali who is the prince of the current king of Devabad um and it was just interesting seeing their different perspectives um I especially loved Nari's character because she failed <laughs> when she um you know finds out that she has these healing abilities it's not like she suddenly becomes the avatar of healing overnight she had to really put in work and fail and get frustrated and struggle some more and get angry and struggle some more and get frustrated even more and it just felt so like realistic and relatable um and she's a spitfire I, I really loved that about her character Ali took some warming up too I'm not going to lie it I did not like him at the beginning but trust and believe by the end of this trilogy I have been converted to a major Ali stan um so yeah if you love magic if you love middle eastern inspired stories if you love political intrigue definitely check this out it is an adventure and a a wild ride that I am so grateful I got to experience but I wish I could experience for the first time again Kisu, hey, that sounds really, really exciting. Um, City of Brass, um, I have also heard of that. Um, I haven't read any of the books, guys, on these lists, but I have heard of uh, over half of them, actually. Um, I saw City of Brass trending um, on Instagram uh, a little while ago, and uh, Kisu was definitely really, really excited about it. And you just make me think about reading Black Panther by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, which I think I mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast. Um, he's writing Black Panther. I'm on book three, uh, A Nation Under Our Feet, and the world building. As you're saying with City of Brass, the world building, I'm trying to draw a parallel, um, is just amazing because Black Panther right now is dealing with a uh, civil war, essentially, after um, fighting both Thanos and Namor the Submariner for Wakanda and for the people, and a lot of people are fed up with the monarchy. And it's very interesting how Coates just weaves in political intrigue. And you're, it, it's very, it is very lush, not only the technology and the, the you know, the African culture and the sci-fi um, colliding like that, the Afrofuturism, but also the, the building and tearing apart of a nation as the good guys and the bad guys, or maybe there aren't any in this book, are trying to figure out how to define themselves in the world and within a country that they all know so very well. And everyone's trying to seize their birthright and trying to start fresh and trying to tear down things about Wakanda that they think are detrimental basically and so that just came to mind when you're talking about the world building of uh david bad that country uh the the magic coming from a supernatural lineage um you know of course i'm thinking about the heart-shaped herb parallel to t'challa and the vibranium and it's just um world building is just such an important tool when it comes to immersing us in a really really good story and so that just came to mind while you talked about city of brass so thanks for sharing that with us 
shows and will actually reread The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because it was one of the first books I read. The other was, I think, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance in adulthood. It was amazing. I could use some of Douglas Adams' storytelling style and humor now, and I haven't read it since about 1984. What I loved about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was, to my mind, literary possibility. This was science fiction that didn't really give a shit about science. Somebody who worked on Star Wars answered a question about how fast the ships traveled by saying they traveled, quote, at the speed of plot, close quote. That's how Hitchhiker's Guide is structured, as I recall. Uh, the improbability drive, an emotionally maladjusted android, paving space. I mean, it was just so inventive and just told a story in a way I didn't realize that you could tell a story. Uh, and funny. Anything, although I can't recall anything specifically, I can't remember laughing and laughing like this moment when Arthur Dent's house is about to be demolished and the bulldozer driver is worried that there might have been a mistake made. And here's a quote. He shifted his weight from foot to foot, but it was equally uncomfortable on each Obviously, somebody had been appallingly incompetent, and he hoped to God it wasn't him. That's one thing I remember loving about this book, was Adam's ability to capture a character's terror of being at the root of a bureaucratic situation, mistake, while at the same time, the world is literally ending. So I want to reread it again, and rediscover it, because I can't remember 40 years ago what I read. Um, and with the state the country's in now, uh, I could use some off-world diversion. So I'm going to get the Hitchhiker's Guide and read it again. Hey, Robert. That's great. I love that um, ship's moving at the speed of plot quote. I can't remember if you are the one who told me that quote or if I'd actually somehow heard it maybe on a podcast or a YouTube video or something. But I think that's that's hilarious. And I just love how, how self-aware it is. Um, I've never read uh, this series, but I do remember um, I remember seeing a lot of them lying on the shelves in Barnes and Noble and whatnot. And I remember I do remember the or seeing trailers for the movie from maybe the, the early 2000s. I'm sure you've seen that. So I have to talk to you about it sometime. Um, I never really understood the series, but I never thought that was a bad thing. There just seemed to be something kind of wacky about it and it just seems that every now and again I learn more and more about how wacky it probably is but also how how clever it is um I don't know if this is like just flat out wrong but I know a little bit about uh Terry Pratchett and uh, his Discworld series and just how clever he is with um talking about good versus evil and science and and of course magic since his books are are fantasy and for some reason just listening to you talk about it it almost felt like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy was almost like the disc world of sci-fi stories i don't know if that makes any sense um but it sounded fun to me to to think about um just these clever engrossing writers talking about genres that they like while still telling their own still still telling their own story and and just making their self-aware humor and and poking at at different things in in the genre 
a part of the story. I think that's that's uh, really, really cool. So um, I think I need to go ahead and check this series out so that you and I can talk about it. So, uh, and guys, you know, if you're listening um, and you like the sound of this series, you need to go ahead and check it out now. You've got nothing but time. Thanks again, Robert. So the book I'd like to reread for the first time is Your Blues Ain't Like Mine by B.B. Moore Campbell. This was one of the first books I bought um, as an adult right after college. Um, I love this book and I've only read it once actually. It basically opens with a young boy from the north saying something in French to a white woman in Jim Crow, Mississippi. And so right off, we know that this is the story of Emmett Till. But it's a fictional story um, based on some facts. It's historical fiction, which is a genre that I do love. And it basically opens with this scene but it spans across generations um, discussing the impact that this one atrocity, um, the murder of this young boy, how it impacted all the lives involved. And it spans generations. And it discusses um, race, economics, um, and class. And it's just wonderful how Miss Campbell weaved this tale in that you have people coming in and out of the story. And as I said, it's across generations. And just when you think that you've, she's wrapped something up with a character, something else will come up. And by the end of the story, all loose ends have been tied up and is packaged so eloquently. Um, it's just a story that I, I fell in love with. And the funny thing is, is that I actually gave this book away by accident when a friend of mine was donating books to prison. And I remember a few months later saying, you know, I can't find that book. And um, I was talking to her about it. And um, she said, well, it may be packed in with what I donated. And that Christmas my friend gave me a gift, and when I opened it, it was the book again. She found it, and she gave me a card saying, be careful of what you give away. And this book has followed me throughout my life. Um, I've just loved having it in my library. And next week is my birthday, and since I'm talking about it now, I think I'm going to read it, um, give it to myself as a gift and see how the 52-year-old me reads and interprets the story as opposed to the 23-year-old me. That's the book I'd like to reread for the first time, Your Blues Ain't Like Mine by the late B.B. Moore Campbell. Hey, Sylvia. Wow. Um... Are you sure you don't want to do your own podcast because your voice is is amazing um and i just love the way that you describe this book um in fact all you guys's voices are are amazing it was just a lot of fun to listen to everyone talk about their favorite books um wow that book sounds um 
really, really heavy, um, yet beautiful at the same time. And it reminded me of, um, one, it, it, act, it reminded me of, um, this foundation, um, that I'll actually link. Um, I'm learning more, more about it. Um, it's called the Emmett Till Legacy Fund. Um, I found it on Twitter. Um, their handle, uh, their description says creating a legacy of hope and building a bridge from the past to the present and future in memory of Emmett Lewis Till and in honor of his mother, Mammy Till, Till Mobley. Um, you know, his murder shocked, uh, shocked the nation and, um, to add insult to injury, uh, the woman who uh, accused him of, I believe it was whistling at her, would later say that um, it didn't happen. And it's just really, really heartbreaking, but uh, an important story. And uh, this fund is um, going toward um, justice for um, not only Emmett Till, um, but stories like his. Um, they also are making funds for raising funds for like Ahmaud Aubrey and, and others. And it's a great resource to, um, pour into the black, into the black community to, um, to empower us and remind us of, uh, of our rights and, um, to remind us that people are, are fighting for us. Um, and it's very interesting, Sylvia, um, that, uh, your blues ain't like mine borrows from history like that and uh follows it um to a uh, heartbreaking conclusion um but uh maybe not conclusion but um follows the same course as uh the late Emmett Till but um the way you talk about it it sounds powerful in how it impacts people generationally uh, across generations and um you made it sound really really inviting and um I think that's I think that's powerful when people use things from history to try to to heal and and redeem people and redeem situations and remind us that there's still hope. I haven't read this book, but it reminded me of uh, a book I think you and I talked about. Um, one of my favorites. I've only read it once, uh, but Kindred by uh, the late Octavia Butler. And how that book um, borrows from from history about antebellum slavery, slavery in uh, in Maryland, um, where I'm originally from, and how um, the protagonist Dana um, keeps getting pulled back in time to the plantation and to the owners who owned her ancestors, and the story follows how Dana keeps getting pulled back in time every time the son of the slave owner. Every time the son's life is in danger, Dana has to save him. Otherwise, in a in a crazy turn of, of fates, she's not going to exist. And it just examines a lot of things about slavery, about, um, I don't know if privilege is the right word, but how we as black people, you know, we have so much thanks to our ancestors, thanks to those who who fought, who who marched, who innovated. Um and it's, it's, it's a powerful, powerfully emotional, unique sci-fi book um, spanning generations. And I think trying to also convey a, a message of hope and challenging black people to um, dig deep, look into our history and see how we can um, 
I guess, really examine our relationship to to slavery and and find hope for tomorrow. So your blues ain't like mine reminded me of of that book. Um, and I also love how, you know, you you lost the book um, for a time. I can only imagine how heartbreaking that was. But it's so crazy how you got the book back. Like, it's it's just crazy how it's like, you know, the book talks about generations and, and the impact of something. And it reminded me of Kindred and how that does some similar things. You lose the book just to get it back. And I like to think that, you know, your friend, when they donated it to the prison, hopefully someone, you know, some of the inmates were were blessed by reading uh, a book that you held so dear. So I think that's some, <laughs> I think that's amazing. Um, I'm going to check this book out and I can't wait to talk to you about it someday. Um, happy belated birthday. And I hope you had world-class birthday sushi. Thanks, Sylvia. Hello, my name is Lang from Churchton, Maryland, and I'm here to discuss what book I would love to reread with fresh eyes. That book to me would be Wild, Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail by Cheryl Strayed. This book is about Cheryl Strayed herself um, describing her 1,100-mile hike on the Pacific Crest Trail, and it was her journey to self-discovery. A lot of things happened in her life before that um, that were traumatic, and she took this time to do this hike um, as a healing for herself. So the reason why I love this book so much and why I'd love to reread it is it always reminds me that you're only given one chance at life, so you have to live it in a way that is true to yourself. When I read this book, it was about 2014 or 2015. I was working in the IT industry for 10 years. Before that, I was in finance for four to five years. So that's 15 years behind the desk. And I read this book. I talked to my husband. I actually tabbed this book and reread certain portions of it. And six months later, I quit my job and I wrote, started writing. And like I said, that was about 2014, 2015. And I have been writing and following my passion ever since then. This book helped me to realize a few things. Basically, one, like I said, you're only given one chance at life. So live it in a way that's true to yourself. It had me thinking about what fears I have, what fears I have from in pursuing my dreams why I naturally want to control the outcome of every situation and <clears throat> what it would take for me to step out of this comfort zone. I also was think it made me think about what the true meaning of life is. Is it winning the rat race, um, working myself to my next promotion, or following my passion, which was writing? So I just think that this is an important book to read, and I would be excited for other people to read it because I think everybody can ask themselves these questions and you know maybe everyone's in a place right now that they want to make changes or maybe people are in a place where they love what they're doing but either way I think this book is very important and I'm gonna leave this with this quote because this is the best way to say it um, it's a Mayu Angelou quote and it's live as though life was created for you and I believe this book 
helped me to realize that, to realize that I need to live my life as if it was created for me. And I would be so excited for other people to read it so that they can go through their own journey of self-reflection. Thank you. Hey, Lang. Cool. We made it to the end of our book list. That sounded uh, really, really cool. And I love the impact that it had on you. Um, not only just personally, um, as you were going in between different different fields um, of work, but also um, creatively as it inspired you to pick up the pen, sit down at your computer and write your own story. Um, I've read um, one of Lang's manuscripts, uh, this fantasy book, and it was a uh, it was pretty exciting, and it was fun to go back and forth with her um, as she was in the uh, getting ready to go into the editing process. Um, I think Lang's gonna go really, really far, and I'm happy to know her. Yeah, I, I like books like this, and thanks for uh, switching it up and going with uh, you know some nonfiction, you know, memoir, autobiography type deal. It's always cool to to kind of learn about new people and then to kind of learn about yourself when you read a memoir or a documentary and you, you learn about um, the trials and tribulations that they went through, you know, all that stuff. And so it reminded me, um, since I haven't read um, Wild, um, it reminded me of a couple of books, um, well, mainly one, but it reminded me of Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez. And more specifically, because I've read it more recently, uh, Independent Ed, by Edward Burns. And that's a story, um, that, that's a memoir about filmmaker, uh, Ed Burns, who, um, he's from New York and he did a lot of independent movies. He, his heroes were Robert Rodriguez and Spike Lee. And, uh, he, uh, created a lot of indie films, uh, a lot of romances, um, about guys just like himself in New York who were just trying to, you know, get through life with their friends and get married and, and find purpose in life, uh, and whatnot. Um, I believe his debut was called the brothers McMillan. I haven't seen that one. I've been looking for it. I've only seen his movie. She's the one, but his memoir is really cool. Um, my parents got it for me when I graduated from a uh, film school and one of my favorite sections, if not my favorite section, is I believe it's called in the book, The Best 12 Days of My Life. And it's just about how Ed Burns was struggling to make, I think, his second or third film. And he attributed uh, 12 specific days to the success of his first film, The Brothers McMillan, because he shot in his parents home and around locations you know gorilla style and they were the 12 best days of his life and he had like 12 commandments almost for like coinciding to each day and years later when he was working on his second or third film he was really struggling and he sat down to dinner with his dad and was talking about it and venting and his dad was asking him like you know what was, you know, what would it take to get those 12 days back? Because you had such a good time making your first movie. What, like, what what do you need? And Ed was like, well, I do, you know what? I do need those 12 days. But you know what? Nothing is stopping me from, you know, stopping, recalibrating, and um, basically starting over and making this movie just like my first movie um, and making it on my own terms, making it within 12 days, making it with the cast that I want, 
um, making sure I'm, I'm under budget or right at budget. There's no reason I can't take this, take my destiny back into my hands because with the success of his first film, um, things were kind of running away with him. He had an agent and manager and, and he just didn't feel the spark anymore and things weren't working. And that book just came to mind laying and everybody, because, um, I think maybe similarly to wild it's Ed's story of just, uh, self-reflection as well. And what he thought was the blueprint for his success, um, and why he thinks others could be successful as, as storytellers and filmmakers and what he learned from his heroes, um, his, his ups and downs and, and the lessons learned. And that's one of my favorite, favorite memoirs. Um, especially since, um, I'm not like a, a director or a producer or an actor. Um, Ed Burns is all of those things, but he's also number one, a writer. And that's one of the it just feels really good to to read about somebody who just really understood the creative process from a pen and paper standpoint. And um, I read that book again uh, last year um, when I was, you know, kind of struggling to find a job. It was our, you know, our first year in L.A. And I was trying to, like, find my voice as a writer, like, find it again because um, I was like, had I found it before? I don't know. And I just wanted to feel like I knew, I was like, what do I sound like? My voice, what do I care about? And um, I looked at, you know, Rebel Without a Crew and the Duffer Brothers, Stranger Things companion. And then I found Independent Ed. And I was just like, I just felt like the the light bulb went off again to write about, you know, my family, my friends, write about things that, that I care about, not things that I think others will care about. And um, just to like, take, take control, uh, again. And so I just really, that really just came to mind, uh, Lang, when I was thinking about, you know, like, hmm, what's, what's something that I've read that kind of gave me the same feeling that Lang got? And it was Independent Ed by Edward Burns. So thank you, Lang, for sharing that. So that's it. Um, 10 books, uh, from 10 friends. Uh, thank you, Bruna, Regan, thank you, Brittany, Jared, Alyssa, Maya, Kisu, Robert, Sylvia, and thank you, Lang. Thank you all for contributing. It sounded like you guys had a lot of fun. This was a really fun episode to to do with you guys and to just learn about these these books and to respond and draw parallels and connections myself. Um, you gave me new books to to look into, and I'm just really really excited to have kind of had this conversation with you guys. I know it's weird because it's not a live interview, but this was fun. This was different. I think it took the edge off and made everyone was able to make it their own. Um, so it brings me to, I have to give a book and I've, uh, I thought about this a lot and I was like, mm, do I have anything? Like, this is what happens when you read so slow, Josiah, and you only read a book, you know, once, even if it's, you know, when you really like, you know, I got to get into, I watch movies over and over, but I, I don't reread books as much, but, um, the one I decided to pick, um, there, there are so many and there are a small handful of some that I have read like at least twice, maybe three times. And, um, for me, it seemed to just be far and away. I am legend by Richard Matheson. Um, I, I read this book 
after or during a literary and film class um, in community college um, where we we studied specific books and then we watched the movie adaptations. And so we we talked about that and and, you know, which is better, the book or the movie and what the directors and the actors brought to the books, uh, excuse me, brought to the movies. And uh, it was it was a really fun fun class it was it felt like my first film class in a sense um and we did projects and and whatnot I did a project on the Shawshank Redemption um which I almost uh listed for Lang's in response to Lang's uh book but um I'm really glad I thought of Independent Ed I think it was perfect but I am legend I'd never heard of it uh, the book. I remember, of course, the movie. Um, I remember being really excited about seeing Will Smith fighting the undead with his German shepherd and, and with his sniper rifle in an abandoned New York in then futuristic, what was it, 2012, I think it was. Um, I remember that Batman v Superman poster and everyone was like, oh my gosh, is that a hidden, you know, Easter egg and, you know, whatever. And um, so I'd seen the 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 movie and I thought that was re a really, really exciting movie. I think that was the first movie I saw where I felt like I noticed structure, like it, it leapt out to me, um, like like in a good way. I felt like, oh, I, I can see all the 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 ebbs and flows of the story and what leads into what. And so it was a real treat to read I Am Legend. Um, I think technically it's a novella. It's like maybe 160, maybe 190 pages. Um, yeah, it's, it's really short because it was it fit in an anthology of other Matheson, bleh, other Matheson stories. Um, and I finally found the the so the the book uh, on its own outside of the anthology, and um it's a quick it's a quick read, but you can still it can still you know take you a, a little bit of time. I've never read it in one sitting. Um, I actually read Kindred, uh, Sylvia. I read Kindred. I forgot to say that in one sitting. I think I read it in December. Um, while I was back from school and just had time and I just all day I think we were leading up to it was a few days I think before New Year's um after Christmas before New Year's and I just read that in one sitting I've never read I Am Legend in one sitting I've always stretched it out I just I think what I love about I Am Legend is um the exploration of uh isolation uh I guess which is a little bit funny here in in the pan in the pandemic, um, anybody who's by themselves, I hope that you're able to, you know, be on Zoom chats and, and texting with everybody. You know, some people handle being alone differently than others. Um, and I'm an introvert, which is why that comes to mind. Um, I, I do love to be by myself, but I do, you know, like to be around people sometimes. And I, I was just captivated by the main character, Robert Neville's battle with the undead and with isolation and with the trauma and the mourning of losing his wife and daughter to the pandemic. Um, I also loved, um, I loved the idea of like a scientific approach to vampirism. Um, I just, I love the, the, how Neville goes to the library and how he, he, he runs experiments on, um, on the undead, like who's actually undead, who's really a vampire and who like he begins to dispel 
myths and, and different things like related to the garlic and, and holy water and steaks and, and do they really turn into bats and things like and it really but it's never it never gets stuffy. You know, it, it, it Matheson never gets lost in the the science or the pseudoscience or anything like that. Um, you can follow along with Neville very easily. And I just love that that hunt um, while he's battling isolation, while he's boarding up his house and trying to not be killed by his old neighbors who have been turned into vampires, which I thought was creepy. You know, the idea of someone you once knew who is now evil essentially and is trying to kill you like every day like that was really creepy and, and thrilling and um there are just there's so many other things I could say but I don't want to spoil anything because like I said it's not a very long book um but it is in its own way fast fast paced and exciting the flashbacks to um the days leading up to to the outbreak and Neville's life beforehand are very interesting. Um, the story takes place, I believe, in the 70s or in the 80s. So that was um, a little bit, a little interesting to read, just a little bit of 70s, 80s flavor with um, maybe some of the way people spoke or or the uh, just a hint of, of the culture. Um, it also takes place uh, in L.A. It takes place in New York in the movie, but it's uh, an L.A. story, actually. And it's fun to um, read about um, Neville driving through abandoned L.A. to, to you know, um, greenhouses and libraries and town hall. And, and, you know, will he or won't he, you know, pay respects, you know, to, to his wife and, and daughter, you know, because they died, right? Um, will he go out, you know, to the cemetery to see them and... and it's just a really thrilling, thrilling book. And it's one I love, I love to always go back and read. I think last time I read it was maybe two years ago. And it's just a really exciting book that I think you guys should should look up. And it's, I just remember the first time in that literary and film class reading it, I was just blown away by just how imaginative the book was. And it wasn't too scary because it is a horror, uh, a horror book. And I don't really do that. Um, I like suspense, thrills, and things like that. I have read Carrie by um, Stephen King, and I actually am interested in some of his other, some of his other books. Um, I think I read The Dark Half as well. I usually don't do scary, but I may I make an exception here and there. And um, I Am Legend was just amazing, and that ending, whew, you guys got to check it out for yourself. But uh, I Am Legend is one of the books that uh, I wish I could read again with fresh eyes and just be, get those thrills and chills again and just follow Neville on his journey. Um, you know, will, is he the last man alive? Um, can he find a cure? Can he survive, you know, the, the vampire's onslaught night to night? Will he make it? Um, man, that book had me, had me up late at night one because it was creepy but one because it's just it i just really thought it was a really uh exciting book and i was thinking about it for a really long time i had a long book hangover after uh, reading i am legend so if you haven't read that i'd recommend checking that out i am legend by richard matheson and that's the book that uh if you told me you were reading it for the first time i'd be so hyped and so jealous and i I'd, I'd tell you to rush through it so that we could talk about it again um 
really love I Am Legend. So um, this was a really, really fun episode. Again, I'm going to link all the contributors. Thank you guys again. And I'm going to link all the books that we discussed in this episode on the blog. That's Josiah's Voice Podcast dot WordPress dot com. Um, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. That's where you can find uh, the blog linked in my bio. On Instagram, I'm Josiah.docx. And on Twitter, just at Josiah.docx. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I really, really had a good time doing this episode and talking about books with you guys. And uh, I'll talk to you later for the next episode. Take care, guys.